0: Yay, Friday, whatever you want to call it, the weekend is almost here. And a no better way to spend it than to be on the Strictly Stripes podcast as we talk about the offensive line to wrap up our offensive positional previews. Welcome to another off season edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Got the whole gang all together with you. Muhammad Ahmad joined by Andrew Gillis and Mike Nislik. And we talked about the tight ends Thursday, at least Mike and I did. Um, some great discussion there one of the big topics for that was, you know, the big free agency coming up for three of their tight ends. Uh, Not so much the case with offensive tackle. Uh, You pretty much have everyone coming back next year, including with Jonah Williams, who I wanted to start with. Uh, He's entering his fifth year option, which the Bengals extended last year Um, and also just had knee surgery in California. Uh, He should be good by June, according to reports. Um, This is coming after his season ending injury uh back in January when he played the Baltimore Ravens in the wild card round and guys like we said it's his 5th year option it's to me I think it might be his final year in Cincinnati. Do you think this is, you know, is it his final year? Is it a prove it year? And if so, I mean, how do you see the Bengals kind of planning for his future without him now with the draft and free agency coming up?
1: Well, I think with with Jonah any conversation gets related back to Leo Collins too. Um, you've got two tackles coming off knee surgeries that they're actively rehabbing and they're going to miss part of the off season for, um, you know, obviously Jonah sounds like he'll be, he'll be ready, ready sooner than, than Leo Collins. But I mean, you've got two tackles that are coming off knee surgery. You've got a, one guy who's going into the last year of his deal. You've got another guy who's going into the second year of a three-year deal you know, on a, on a deal where frankly, you can, you can save a little bit of money by cutting him, not a ton. Um, so right. I mean, right now you have to roll with both of those guys, but you know, I think the more you, the more you look at it, offensive tackles becoming an issue for this team and becoming a need for this team. Um, if, if only just to get a, a swing guy in there who you can trust, um, you know, Jackson, Carmen, there wasn't really a ton of drop-off between what he did and what Jonah did towards the end of the year. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think when you look at Jonah, it might be his last year in Cincinnati for sure. Um, you know, you do have a lot of guys to pay, but typically left tackle is one of those guys that you would like to lock up and like like to pay. It's just the tackles right now for, for the Bengals are, are not in a great spot in terms of health, and um, that's going to that's gonna matter. That has to weigh on your, your decision-making over the offseason.
2: Well, they're in a tough spot just because they don't have a lot of money to kind of invest to sort of upgrade now at this point. Uh, Jonah Williams, you mentioned his last year of his contract. His salary will be twelve point six million this year. That's up from five point six million last year. Um, they really can't move on from him, obviously. So this, they, you know, they'll have him. Uh, when you look at kind of extensions, uh, you know, the year two, two drafts before him, two of the first round left tackles, Colton Miller of the Raiders and Garrett Bowles of the Broncos, got about $18 million a year. Williams would call for an extension of probably at least $15 million. Um and I, and I think the question's legitimate. Has he played well enough to earn that? Uh, because I think if you extend him, you could probably lower the cap hit for this year um and start to kind of figure out what to do on, on the opposite side. But I don't know uh, if he has.
0: So, I mean – like you said, Andrew, I mean, it could be his last year. And, you know, you're right. You really can't talk about Jonah Williams without talking about Lyle Collins. Um, again, if the Bengals were to release him after June 1st, they'd save over $6 million in cap space. And I think there's a strong case to do so. He's about to turn 30. He already kind of uh, didn't practice as much last year. He had a veteran's rest day because he was already battling uh, some back issues in the offseason. season. He may not even be ready till 2023 with his ACL injury he suffered in December against the New England Patriots. So to kind of ask you guys, I mean, do you guys keep keep Lyle Collins next year? I mean, I know, Andrew, you kind of said you might have to roll with him, but do you roll with Lyle Collins or do you say, hey, like he's getting old, he's been banged up, we got money to save, we want to extend Joe Burrow, save her, we can. Do you move on from Lyle Collins at this point? And if not, why not?
1: Well, I mean, I would, I would hang on to him unless you absolutely need uh, some of that money, because you would have $3.3 million in dead money and you would save $6 million in cap space. So you're not, it's not a, you know, a great, you know, savings to, to move on from him after this year. I think it's kind of financially viable to keep him. Um, but I, you know, I do think you need to invest in a tackle in some way because, you know, he hurt that knee on Christmas Eve and, that's a tough turnaround to make it for training camp and everything like that. And, and we kind of saw the results of what, you know, not having offensive linemen ready or healthy or, or able to play together in training camp looks like for the first two weeks of the season. So you want to have a guy healthy. You want to have a guy that, that can kind of go through the offseason program. And um, so I, I don't think you cut him. I don't think you, I don't think you get rid of him just because the, the cap is not going to be an issue this year. Um, you know, you're not going to have to go up against it this year. You're not going to need to pinch every penny this year, which is why I think it makes sense to keep him because, you know, if Leo Collins becomes your swing tackle, you know, because he, he's not ready for the season and you draft a rookie who plays really well, well, then you've got a really, really, really good swing tackle. And it's unrealistic to think that the Bengals are going to go through a season like they just did where um, up until the last like two or three weeks, you were pretty pretty remarkably injury free you're gonna have some some things come up you're gonna have uh guys go down and uh you you need to be ready for that so i I think you keep him for another year just because you never know what could come in terms of uh in terms of injuries and things like that and you know you you want to build up your depth and that's one way to do it you have a competition at right tackle and put a rookie out there and if he wins the job whether that's because Leo Collins isn't physically ready, or you know he beats out Leo Collins, and so be it.
2: Well, it depends too. I think they're going to probably need to get get at least two guys—a uh, veteran and a and a draft pick. Um, so you know that's six million probably can cover two, uh, depending on kind of how you handle that that split. Um, so I mean, because they need depth, I mean they lost Isaiah Prince. You know, Hakeem Adeniji hasn't, uh, I think, shown all that much. Um, you know, Jackson Carmen actually probably was the brighter of the two uh, in the playoffs. Um, so you need two two guys, I think, at least at tackle, and that six million might be what you are able to do to kind of afford that. Um, otherwise, I, I think it might be tough. Um, and you know, I, I think, like you mentioned, they did not like having him sit out uh, fall camp. Um, so you know, it was it was tough.
0: <clears throat> I am glad he mentioned. Excuse me I'm glad you mentioned Jackson Carmen because like Andrew said maybe you get a rookie and he competes with Lyell. but I'm glad you mentioned Jackson because you know he was in an interesting category this year. He was pretty much inactive all but two games and then you have all the injuries with Jonah and Alex Kappa, who we'll talk about later in the show with the interior line. but all those injuries come up and you pretty much have to put him at left tackle, has kind of a shaky start in the wild card round against Baltimore has the game of his life against Buffalo and then kind of had a hit or miss game. If you want to call it that against the chiefs in the AFC championship. So I think it showed two things. Number one, he emotionally matured, which was the big thing that all the coaches harped on that he, you know, he grew up a lot kind of between his rookie year and last year. And he just looked more natural at tackle, which is where he played in high school and where he played at Clemson. So do you think maybe like to kind of jump into that, like did Jackson Carmen show that he maybe can't compete for that same, you know, tackle position with Lyell and maybe another rookie they get. What's the likelihood that maybe he gets kind of a resurgence in training camp?
2: Well, I think he's earned a backup spot in terms of like competing there. I don't know that he's good enough to be the starter right now. I mean, he only played um, what two games or one game at that spot. Uh, so, you know, I, I, that's not that's not nearly enough to say, oh yeah, he's the guy. But um, I think certainly. He'll be the, you know, he'll be allowed to compete, um, and you know, I think he's a good option for depth. But you definitely need more depth from the outside. Their their in house options, I don't think are at this point good enough to start. For a yeah, team that, and, and I mean, that has pot- a playoff. For a team that has playoff, uh, Super Bowl aspirations.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, like Mike said, for for a team that you know, sitting here last year, everybody was saying, Oh my God, they need to revamp their entire offensive line. And and they almost did. They got four or five new starters Uh, this year. You you need new depth at the very least. Um, You know, I'm not sure that you're, you're getting by with kind of what you had at the end of the year. Um, And and plus like you, you kind of look at some of the names um, you know, you'd like to get maybe some, some younger guys in there, some guys that are more controllable quote unquote, if you will, in terms of their contract, because I mean, this team is gonna have to worry about some some money in, in the next few years. And if you can get a guy who's coming in on a four-year rookie deal who's a third round pick, and you can get, you know, spot starts and you know spot kind of moments from him, that that's a good place to be. So uh, you need to revamp your depth. I think Carmen can come back. Um, you know, I think let's say Leo Collins is is gonna be ready for week two or three. Uh, I think, you know, Jackson Carmen, if you want to kick him over to the right side, I I don't think that's the worst option to have a competition there. But I I, I, like I think any scenario where Jackson Carmen is kind of being handed the reins of anything is necessarily where you want to be right now. Um, I think there I mean, and, and frankly, I mean, it's training camp. There's competitions everywhere. Every job is pretty much open with the exception of a few. So. Um. yeah, I don't think that that's where they'll be. But, yeah, you know, Carmen competing is that, that sixth lineman, that seventh lineman. That's, uh, I, I think that, that you can kind of live with that if you're the Bengals, if you make some other additions.
0: I like what you said there because, you know, on top of the fact that, you know, you don't know about Lyell's status and you have Jonah going into his fifth and what seems to be his likely final year, you know, you also have Hakeem Adeniji, who was that swing tackle last year until he took over for Lyell when, you know, Lyle and Alex Kappa went down. Um, he was the right tackle basically throughout the playoffs. He's in a contract year too. He's entering his final season. So, you know, what do the Bengals do with him? I don't know. But if we're just looking at Hakeem Adeniji going into 2023, you know, do you keep him at that jumbo tackle? I think you do. And then, like you said, you, you draft some guys behind him, behind Lyell Collins, behind Jonah Williams, and then, you know, if you lose a Jonah and or Hakeem, you know, that person can either be, you know, slotted in to start at left or right tackle, or that could be basically the next Hakeem Adeneji if the Bengals maybe decide decide not to move on with him or decide to move on with uh, energy in 2024 next year when he's up. That's more for next year. But it just shows you like they have to start planning for the tackle position now because You know, they're going to deal with two free agents next year. And one of them, you know, being, you know, Hakim Denneji is only a swing tackle, so you got to really build there. But they have some depth with Carmen. I don't know about Deontay Smith. He was more of a project pick two years ago who hasn't really worked out. Um, He was mostly inactive last year. He was that jumbo tackle in the playoffs with all the shifting in depth. I'd see him kind of being like Isaiah Prince. Maybe they wave him to the practice squad and, just keep him as like a last resort. Cause again, they didn't really do much with him. Like they did with, um, with uh, Isaiah Prince, who's actually now with the Denver Broncos. He's not even in Cincinnati, but you know, uh, I know you wrote about this a little bit, Andrew. I mean, it seems like this is going to be one of those big priorities in the draft for the Bengals is, you know, offensive tackle, you know, what do you think in terms of like just some of the names out there who sticks out to you and how do you see the Bengals? Maybe like not attacking this, but like, if you're the Bengals, what are some names you look at to consider, just going into the combine and going into the draft, that offensive tackle.
1: Yeah, um, so I wrote about, a, like you said, I wrote a, about a few of them today. Um, you know, obviously, these, this is not an exact science. Uh, when you pick some of these guys, you you kind of watch some of their film and uh, watch some of their highlights and see who you think could fit. Um, Anton Harrison, he's an offensive tackle from Oklahoma. Uh, the reason I really liked him was because you watch him play. Um, you know, he played in in a pretty pass heavy attack at Oklahoma. Um, but then also than that, he, he just turned 21 and he's declaring for the draft. So he's got a little bit of that, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of it, like the Lamar Jackson declared early, um, Matt Stafford declared it. Like you've got a little bit of that where it takes a year, you know, to kind of to kind of get acclimated to the NFL. Um, you probably have to take this guy in the first round, maybe trade back a little bit uh, and, and select him there. But, uh, you know, I think that you can kind of work on him as kind of a longer term. Okay, this is an answer for us. Because, again, like the league is so pass heavy now. The left tackle position is not to say the left tackle position is devalued, but the right tackle position has kind of become uh, more valued just because of how, how much teams pass. So, uh, you know, I liked Anton Harrison there. Um, Dewan Jones, uh, offensive tackle from Ohio State. Uh, he's huge. I didn't know. I knew he was big. I didn't think he was this big. He's like six eight. He's like three hundred fifty plus pounds. I saw a couple different estimates for his weight. Like I saw like three eighty. Uh, somebody said like three fifty. Somebody. So he, he's he's more than three hundred fifty pounds. Um, per for, per Pro Football Focus. Uh, he allowed no sacks and five pressures uh, among three hundred ninety three pass rush snaps. Uh, he played right tackle in college. So like, if you're looking for an answer for Alayel Collins specifically. There's a nice little answer for you. Uh, Cody Mock, offensive tackle from North Dakota State. Uh, people have kind of raved about this guy um, in terms of, uh, you know, what you're going to get from him. He can play offensive tackle or guard, I played left tackle at North Dakota State. Uh, pretty physical guy, kind of like you. I mean, he's pretty much the exact guy you would expect getting from, from North Dakota State. Physical guy. Uh, you know, really, really violent football player, which is what you want along the line. Uh, and they liked they liked what they got out of Cordell Volson last year. So, uh, you know, they, they've shown that they can take an offensive tackle, move him into a guard, and kind of make that successful. So uh, you can play him anywhere. Uh, the last guy I wrote, it's not a tackle specifically, um, but I'll uh, we'll mention him anyway. Jarrett Patterson, he was an interior offensive lineman from Notre Dame. Uh, he played really, really well, I thought, in the last couple of years. Uh, he was a two-time captain, really, really good uh, in, in terms of moving up and down and around the line. Played center, played guard, which I think this team kind of needs, uh, you know, because you when you're dealing with depth positions, it's okay to draft a guy if he's going to be your left guard. It's okay to draft a guy in the first round if he's going to be a right tackle, your left tackle. But when you're talking fourth, fifth round, you're not going to draft a guy and say, "Okay, well, you are a right guard only." Like you need to kind of have some versatility there, and and that's what Patterson provides. And that you know, I think in a mid round selection, you get some good value for him. So uh, I know that was a lot to throw at you, but um, there, there are just a few guys that I thought uh, I thought could work.
0: Yeah, I love it. I'd like that you mentioned uh, Cody Mouch from uh, North Dakota State. I was thinking about him because I was like, could we have not one, but two North Dakota State Bison on the Bengals offensive line? I mean, at that point, maybe there's something said about why North Dakota State's O-line just puts together glass eaters like that, since that's what people call the Bengals offensive line is glass eaters. But that actually would be funny if like somehow the Bengals do land him and you know, whether they make him a project and kind of develop him into 2024, that'd be really cool, especially if you you know you still got Cordell Volsing starting up front. But when we come back, we're going to actually talk a lot more about that interior line, including Cordell Volson. what went right for them, what needs to get better, and where the future looks optimistic for the Bengals interior as we continue grading the Bengals offensive line right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Hey there, it's Mohamed Ahmad from the Strictly Stripes Podcast. You might be wondering, what exactly is Cincinnati Football Insider? Well, it's a community of fans who want the inside scoop on the Bengals and a direct connection to the Strictly Stripes Podcast and the reporters who cover the team, and that would be me, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Nislik. It works like this Andrew, Mike, and I will text your phone a few times a day with breaking news, analysis, and our insights on the Bengals. It's the inside scoop on what we're hearing, and we'll give you the inside word before it even hits social media. Being an insider is the best way to participate with the podcast and get in on special events and Zoom calls with me, Mike, and Andrew. And the best part is you can text us directly. It's a great way to cut through the clutter of Facebook, Twitter, other social media, and avoid the trolls for just $4.99 a month. Still not sure? Well, just try it for two weeks, and if you don't like it, you can text the word STOP at any time. But you won't want to cancel once you join the community of hardcore Bengals fans. Here's the best way to get on board. Go to cleveland.com bangles Click on the blue banner top of the page. Or if it's easier, text 513-940-4193. It's a great time to try the two weeks free as we'll be reporting live from the NFL combine in Indianapolis. Plus, we'll be covering free agency on the way to the NFL draft in April. Give us a try for two weeks and see what you think. Just text this number again. It's 513-940-4193 and become an insider today. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So we talked about left tackle, right tackle, basically just uh, the outside tackles for the Bengals. Now to zoom in on the interior, and I think when we look at the interior, um, you could start with different guys, but I want to start with Cordell Volson because of just the interesting year he had. You know, drafted in the you know fourth round of the draft last year, um, came in as a starter, won that job in uh, training camp over Jackson Carmen. Uh, After the Bengals, you know, released Quentin Spain last year, he earned that job as a part of that rebuild that they had in 2022. He had kind of a shaky star going against, you know, Cam Hayward in your very first NFL game is definitely um, baptism by fire, if you want to call it that. But I think he settled into a groove. I think he showed a lot of growth during the season, Um, had a little bit of a rough game in the AFC championship, but that's what happens when you got Chris Jones and Frank Clark lining up against you. So, Overall, I think he had a pretty good rookie year, but uh Andrew, you wrote about this a lot, and I know Mike, I want you to chime in too, but what stood out to you about just the way Cordell Volson jumped in being a day two, day three pick and what has to get better for him going into twenty twenty three?
1: Well I think, you know, one of the I mean, anytime you jump in as a as a later pick like that, it's It's pretty hard to kind of join the um, to join the NFL ranks from especially from an FCS level where, you know, you know, if you're playing at, you know, Georgia, Alabama, some of the bigger level schools in the country, you can you know, you can say, okay I went up against this guy. And he was the the ninth overall pick, the 11th overall pick. Um, So I I think that that kind of jump was impressive to me. But, um, you know, you kind of look at his year as a whole. It took him a little bit. uh, You know, that early Steeler game, uh, there were some kinks that needed to be worked out. Then as the year went on, he, he got a lot better. Um, you know, you kind of looked at um, uh, you know, the the way that he progressed, and and I think that uh, you know, one of the things that you can do with a guy like that, and kind of how he evolves, is just the speed of the game. Uh, he's a strong as an ox. Um, you know, he's really really good. So he's got long arms. Uh, I think you can see a nice little jump for him in uh in in year two. So um. Again, he he was kind of what you wanted and more from from a from a rookie and on that offensive line jumping in and um, you know I think just kind of the natural involvement of his game is going to uh, going to add him or have him have a successful year too.
2: Yeah, I thought you saw as the kind of the season went on, one of the things he struggled with were those speed rushers. Uh, he'd get beat on that first step uh, pretty bad, um, just like for reps here and there, uh, but otherwise. Um, you know, he's pretty solid. He fit in with the group, good chemistry. Um, they liked how he worked. They liked his work work ethic, and that kind of I think set the stage for him. Um, you know, having the season he did. Uh, but otherwise, you know, you have to be happy when you nail a fourth round pick like that. Uh, and he's an immediate starter. Shows improvement, and, and I think they're really excited about his future. Not just um, you know, he wasn't just a option for this year. He, he seems like a long term type type of deal.
0: Yeah, I like how you mentioned that, you know, diamond in the rough maybe is a bit of a stretch because it's not like he was a sixth, seventh round pick. But, you know, to get someone like that in the fourth round, for him to jump in and star and rebound from the, you know, first game he had to get better and better as he got, you know, throughout the year, I mean, that's that's a big deal. Like, if you look at his PFF grades, I know those can be very subjective when it comes to O-linemen, but he got better each playoff game, even with how, you know, Chris Jones and Clark went against him. Uh, in the AFC Championship, he still didn't play a bad game. I mean, compared to, like, what the Bengals had from Quentin Spain at left guard last year, you know, even though they made it to the Super Bowl with him, I mean, he got demolished half the time, I think, and then you get Volson, who seems much more polished. I like how you use that word, Andrew, built like an ox. You know, you're 6'7", you're over 315. It's a, no, strong like an ox. Strong like an ox. You know, when you're 6'7", you know, you're over 315 pounds, you know, that's just something special to get, especially, like you said, for him being a rookie. And then as you kind of shift over, I think where you get um, more heart and soul with the offensive line, dead in center literally and figuratively is Ted Karras. I mean, we could call him the demeanor hound over and over again. And I think, refresh my memory, guys, did I make him our midseason MVP? Because we did those mid-season awards, and I think, did I make him MVP or did you guys do that? I think one of us did.
1: I, have no, Maybe? I, I could not tell you. I think I it was think last season. Dude, mid-season, midseason happened four years ago. and you expect me to answer a question about it? I have no <laughs> idea.
0: Well, the fact that my memory kind of had me thinking that shows you, like, from the minute he got to Cincinnati last year, halfway through the year up until the end of the year, I mean, he was a demeanor hound. I thought at that time he was the best uh, interior, if not overall offensive lineman for the Bengals. I don't think there's really much I just, to
2: just I just looked that up. I just looked that up, and you completely made that up. Just so you know,
0: <laughs> that I thought he. So I, I didn't pick him as my MVP. I, I was wrong about that. Joe Burrow
2: was your MVP. You did not mention Ted Karras in any of your awards whatsoever.
0: Who who were our wait? MVPs not, maybe like. not not even the offensive line awards. Maybe that's what I was thinking of.
2: We didn't do offensive line awards, so that was we- that's an even better reference.
0: You're, honestly, Andrew was right. That was four years ago. I I don't know what I'm
1: thinking of. Maybe I'm thinking of Mike, some game Who were our MVPs? Out of curiosity, Joe Burrow was it? Was it a Joe <laughs> Burrow sweep? Okay, thank God. Because again, I didn't remember it. I did. I had. I honestly would have never thought of it ever again if Muhammad hadn't brought that up. But I'm sitting there like. Oh God! Please tell me I didn't pick like I didn't try to go smart and pick like Jamar Chase <laughs> or somebody dumb. Like, please tell me I didn't do something stupid. But okay, all right. Well, that eases some of my stress because I was worried.
0: <laughs> I, I know what I was thinking of. I, I made Ted Karras my final game ball of the year in Kansas City, and I talked a lot about how I thought he had played just some of the best ball in the O line to that point. So I'm thinking back to two weeks ago, but with how scatterbrained the season made me, I was like mixing and matching different dates. But the point is um, there's really not much to say against what Ted Karras did. He dealt with a lot of double teams up front, especially in the playoffs and especially against teams like the Browns and Steelers. And I thought he handled it well. I mean, you know, they had Trey Hopkins before that the Bengals did at center. He's not even in the NFL anymore. They didn't get much out of him when, you know, they went to the super bowl. Cause I mean, there's a reason why the Bengals got rid of, you know, him and Quentin Spain. So how you know glad should the Bengals be that they have Ted Karras for at least another two years? I mean, he's on a three-year deal. He just finished year one. I mean, if you're the Bengals, how much of a sigh of relief is it to have Ted Karras for two more years?
2: Yeah, I could see him being a team captain next year. I think he was that integral to kind of the leadership. I mean, I know he liked to kind of spread the credit around to Alex Kappa, especially with some of the communication things that uh, they had going on, but um just a you know a, a great uh, voice a great presence in the locker room um, seemed to really enjoy the coaching staff uh, obviously it was very different than what he had in uh, New England um, not worse just different and it seemed to give him sort of a fresh start um, kind of reinvigorated him I think and um, you know I think both both sides are very happy with how that deal turned out
1: yeah um I, pretty much to echo what what Mike just said I think, you know, he's kind of what you're looking for uh, in terms of leadership for a center. Uh, you want to have a guy who, who controls the line of scrimmage. Every single one of his offensive linemen, a fellow offensive linemen, respected him. Um, you know, I, that's the guy you want that's uh, calling signals, that's a team captain, that's, you know, kind of leading the way. So, um, you know, like, like Mike said, he, he did try to try to delegate some of that responsibility and some of that credit. Uh, in terms of kind of what people, what he said people were giving him at the end of the year. But, uh, you know, he was pretty vital to that. Uh, you don't really need to worry about center uh, for this year. He, he's your guy. That's, you know, that's one of the positions that kind of feels not very, uh, he kind of feels not very, not very up for grabs. So um, you're feeling good about what you have with Karis at center for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I really think, you know, the Bengals hit, a jackpot with him, you know, they're going to keep him for a couple years, get some continuity. Like Mike said, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, if he was a team captain next year, I'd be more shocked if he wasn't. Um, that's really reverberated throughout the locker room, not just, you know, amongst the the offensive line, but the locker room as a whole. Um, so you really got a lot of Ted Karras for what he's worth. Um, and you mentioned Alex Kappas. Um, I really think that in the grand scheme of things, seeing how much better he got if he wasn't good already throughout the year, um, it really showed when he got hurt, um, in the regular season finale with Baltimore, just how much of a hit the Bengals took. You know, nothing against Lyle Collins or Hakim Adenji, but you could tell once he went down and Max Sharping came in, like, you know, that's where teams really tried to attack the Bengals because they knew Capra brought so much strength that just wasn't there when He was out for the playoffs that it made me think that he wasn't just the best, you know, interior lineman for the Bengals. I actually think he might have been one of the most underrated right guards in the NFL um, just for his experience and what he's done. I mean, do you guys think in the grand scheme of things he was underrated? And I mean, how much do you think he shined just in general amongst the Bengals offensive line until he got hurt?
1: I mean, like I mean, you said it. Like you he, he really kind of felt his his absence. I don't know if I would go that far in terms of under underrated right guards. In terms of pro football focus, which again, you know, I've kind of voiced my concerns over. But he, he was twenty second in the league. Um, he, he, you know pretty pretty solid pretty solid guard there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Max Sharping did not have his did not have his best day by any means against uh, Chris Jones in that playoff game. Um. You know, I, I would kind of see him moving on, which is kind of going back to my original point. Like you got to build some depth on the interior, but um, you know, losing losing Kappa really hurt again for the for the things that like Mike mentioned, where Ted was trying to you know kind of brush off some of the leadership stuff and, and point to point to uh, point to Alex and say you know he's the guy who's kind of been helping me out with this. You know, I, I forget the percentage that he said, but um, there was you know he he was like at least whatever percentage discredit, it it was a significant percentage is going straight to, uh, straight to, straight to Alex Kappa. So, you know, you, you gotta have a guy like that. You need somebody to kind of anchor your interior. Um, You know, I, I think that Kappa is your guy to do that. Um, Yeah. I mean, losing him was, was a really, really significant loss um, for not just kind of who they had coming up after him. um, But you, you lose a really, really good player and, uh, I mean, getting him back, you have him for three more years starting in 2023. So that's, uh, that's certainly a welcome sign for the Bengals.
2: Yeah, I think he was the most consistent of the Bengals offensive yeah. linemen, but I don't know where that puts him sort of across the league. I, I don't think he's sort of like the like necessarily top tier, top five, top ten even. Um, but, I mean, that yeah. doesn't mean that he's not a solid contributor and, and an important piece. Uh, you know, he was the most consistent, I think, throughout the year, and, and there's something to that. I think, um, you know, especially with the rookie playing on the opposite side, you didn't have to worry as much about him, um, and that that was important to kind of how uh, the group developed together that it allowed uh, Cordell Wilson to, to kind of have some of those growing pains because Kappa stepped in and, and performed well right from, I think, the get-go and only got better as the season went on.
0: Yeah, and, you know, like you mentioned, Andrew, I mean, with all due respect to Max Sharping, I mean, he got demolished and ran over really from the minute they put him in, except maybe that Buffalo game, which, like I've said before, um, not to take away from the Bengals' offensive line, but that Bengal, that Buffalo defense just looked lost, tired, and confused. The Chiefs' defense was anything but lost, tired, and confused, and Chris Jones made him in Hakeem Adeneji pay. You know, they got him off waivers last year, Sharping, um, on a one-year deal. And like you said, he's going to be a free agent. I think that's someone you move on from, you know, if you want to get someone else in free agency or hit the waiver, you know, waivers again for the season, I don't think that's a bad move, but they paid a lot of money for him coming off waivers. Um, more than I think they honestly should have. And I think, you know, people well, I mean, agree it's, with it's that. It's your
1: contract you just take the contract. Yeah. Um, so you had a, you had a base salary of $2.54 million. So there, it wasn't like the Bengals negotiated that, um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's still uh, a lot for how he played. Yeah, that, I, for, for, for a depth guy on the interior, I mean, Max Sharping's probably like I think he showed enough where uh, especially like that Buffalo game, like you said, he played really well. That That's a game that, um, you know, Max probably wants to send out to guy or to other teams in the league and say, like, you know, hey, I can I can compete for a starting job. Um, I, I don't think Max Sharping would come back because I think that he would kind of want that that opportunity to start for a start for a position on the interior. But uh, we'll, we'll have to see.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, like, he's also going to have to show those teams why that tape against Chris Jones is not indicative of who he is because, um, I mean, if you want to prove you're one of the best, you got to show why you can go against the Miles Garretts and the Chris Joneses and the, you know, Joey Boses, whoever. Um, so it's going to be an interesting uh, conversation, but I think he'll end up somewhere if he doesn't come back to Cincinnati next year. But all in all, I think, like you said, um, that's a category you can deal with in the offseason easily. Uh, more than anything, you know, the Bengals, I think just in general, from 2021, their offensive line got much better. Again, the tackles are still a big question, but I I mean, I think it's still going in the right direction. You know, Jackson Carmen looked better. Like I said, you can get someone from the draft. Um, the interior, I think, just did the best. You know, they obviously with all those names we mentioned. You know, Karras' leadership, Volson being thrown in, Kappa's consistency to kind of put a bow on this. I mean, what else really stood out to you guys in general from this Bengals O line that we didn't talk about on this podcast today? And you know, how exciting is it for them just moving forward in twenty twenty three with you know whatever good things that you guys are thinking of?
1: Well, I mean, the continuity is going to be a big factor. Um, you know, you would hope that uh, you can you can kind of build something from a year to year basis. But again, like you're kind of where you were. Uh, last off season, where uh, you, you, nobody played together uh, in, in a real game up until that that week one game, and Joe Burrow got dropped seven times that day. Obviously, not all of them were on the offensive line, but uh, you know they they obviously they very clearly did get better uh, as the year went along. You know, kind of their relationship with Burrow too, and I mean that in a football sense, where you know Burrow was kind of understanding his offensive line and was getting the ball out pretty quick. Um, you know, he only got sacked There was a, like a four game stretch where he got sacked, like four or five times, um, you know, he really wasn't getting taken down a ton uh, for as much as they throw the ball, but you're kind of where back to where you were, where, you know, you, Jonah Williams, they say he's supposed to be, um, you know, ready before June. We'll see. Uh, that's the original report. And, and if the Bengals, you know, the Bengals are obviously hoping for that. Um, Leo Collins, who knows? You might have to work in a rookie if Leo Collins isn't ready. It's it's going to be an interesting offseason to kind of see health wise what they are, but, the interior you're feeling good about, the uh, the tackles, you, you got some questions on.
2: Yeah, I just think it goes back to that there's going to be a cap crunch, and I think the offensive tackle might be the one of the positions that are sort of hit most where they're kind of in a bind to try to get, you know, re- replacements, but they, they really can't spend a ton of money on them. So I think it's going to kind of be tough uh, to, to sort of navigate that the next two years.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like you said, um, other than that first game, I think Joe Burrow, um, his body definitely appreciates his offensive line a lot more because he wasn't sacked more than any other quarterback this past season compared to the year before, so that's a plus. Um, The run game, I think, has to um, improve a little bit, but I don't even know if much of that is on the O-line as much as it is on Joe Mixon, which we've talked about already, but other than that, um, I give a good grade to the Bengals' offensive line for how they did this year, like you guys mentioned, and uh, that puts a bow on our offensive reviews, so stay with us next week because we're going to pick up with the defense as we start with the secondary and move our way down up front to the defensive line, but we'll start with uh, the secondary like we mentioned, we'll talk about that on Monday as we also continue setting the stage with our mock drafts and the NFL Combine, which is Already in less than two weeks, so stay with us for that. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Nislik, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.